2: Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 in 22 challenge. We are... At Zippy Books, we are encouraging everybody, like all of you, to visit 22 bookstores in 2022, and we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits, and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree, and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest, plus you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you wanna join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net, that's 22in22.net, and click I'm in, and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores, and it'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022, hashtag 22 and 22. Scarlett Thomas is the author of 41 Love on Addictions, Tennis, and Refusing to Grow Up. This is not, by the way, any sort of competition. I, as many of you probably know, I wrote a memoir called 40 Love that I tried to sell sort of for a brief period of time. And now a lot of that story is in my upcoming memoir called Bookends, but Anyway, I just couldn't believe it when I saw that there actually was a memoir coming out with almost the exact same title, but Scarlett's is way better than mine would have been. So Scarlett Thomas was born in London in 1972. Her most recent book is the memoir, 41 Love, from Counterpoint Press, and she's also the author of several novels, including Oligarchy, The Seed Collectors, Pop Co., The End of Mr. Y., which was long listed for the Orange Broadband Prize for Fiction in 2007, and Our Tragic Universe. She teaches creative writing at the University of Kent. Welcome, Scarlett. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss 41 Love on addictions, tennis, and refusing to
1: grow up. Well, thank you so much for having me, Zippy. It's great to be here.
2: I have to tell you, I wrote a book that I did not sell as such, but it was called 40 Love because I fell in love again at 40. And so... I told everybody I knew for a long time, including many authors on my show, that I was writing this memoir called 40 Love about falling in love again at 40. And I ended up ultimately selling a book and calling it Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. But anyway, at first it was 40 Love. Then 40 Love was a section of my book. Anyway, I could not believe it when I saw this. (laughs) That is
1: so amazing. Yeah. That's, so i it's, yeah. Be
2: getting a lot of attention. People are like already, did you know there's a book coming out called 41 Love? And I was like, yes, I
1: know. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> it almost wasn't called that. Oh, really? What was it called? Yeah. Oh God, it was called loads of things. In my head, it's still called The Tennis Book. Oh, funny. That's how I talk about it all the time. And then, yeah, I, I love the whole kind of 40 Love, 41 Love thing. It's yeah. Well, as you know, it's a great title because you had it first.
2: And like you, I had, except you actually like lived out this idea. But when I, I started, like, I like basically took up tennis again and like played in tournaments and whatever, when I was 40, now I'm 45. And I had, I said to my husband one day when we were like watching Wimbledon or something, I was like, do you think I could join like the, the older women? Like, could I train for this? Like, could I do? And he's like, he like kind of laughed and he's like, I mean. You know, like, first of all, I'm not that good. But second of all, he's like, do you have any idea what it would take to get to that level at this age? You have to like have trainers and you know, all this stuff and hours of competition. And he's like, you can barely get to school pickup. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> but anyway, now that I've gone on about me, okay. To discuss this book. Cause this is slightly different than my book, which was like more of a, but anyway, <laughs> talk about your book and how this book came to be this tennis book of yours.
1: Yeah, so I basically had the same thought that you had that time, except that unfortunately your husband wasn't there to tell me. That this was a <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> like mums don't have time to play tennis, right? Although I'm not even a mum, and I still don't have time to do any of this stuff. And I, I think I'm going to blame maybe Leanne Shapton and her book Swimming Studies. I don't know if you ever read that. There was just I was reading that on holiday a few years before, and there was just a line in that about. Age group competition, and I thought, "What is that? What is that a thing?" I never did. I never really did competitive sports as a kid. I did a bit of tennis, but I didn't really go in competitions to win trophies and all of that. So, when it dawned on me that as an older woman, I could enter a competition, and then I did. I entered this this little Christmas tournament in my local tennis club just six months after retaking up tennis when I was forty and I won this tournament against all the odds and it wasn't because I was brilliant it wasn't like a scene from Rocky it was I don't know what happened because the thrill was so great I just wanted to win another trophy and spoiler alert can I give a spoiler I mean I don't really win for the rest of the book (laughs) (laughs) I I was just so like how did this elude me as a child winning is so great like why did my parents not push me into every competition and make me like a crazed gymnast and you know I played in the lacrosse team at school for a short while but you know special oh wow we've had the same life I know right this is crazy wow (laughs) (laughs) what position did you play
2: third home I was on defense
1: oh yeah I think I liked
2: left wing okay well I was like right in the middle down the
1: side and (laughs) yeah (laughs)
2: That's funny. Well, there is something intoxicating about winning, especially at our age where you feel like nothing, you can't win anything. Like it's over, you know, like
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's so cheerful already, but yeah, I mean, it's a shock, isn't it? I I didn't think it was going to be, well, first of all, I didn't think I was going to get older. I definitely thought that wasn't going to happen. And then I just didn't think any of the stuff that happens to everybody else is going to happen to me. Did you feel like that? I was, I
2: don't know. I don't know what I thought. I i, I had like so many big question marks for late, later in life, but I certainly didn't think anything good was going to happen.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I, I kind of, I did at first. I don't anymore, but I did back when I started my tennis adventure. I was just like, oh, I'm going to win another trophy. And it's going to be so great being in these tournaments with women over 40, because obviously I'm going to beat all of them, right? Because in my head, I'm still 20 or something. And yeah, I, I don't think I... I won a couple of matches, but it was very hard.
2: I played in like this tournament that summer that I was getting more competitive. And I had this one like epic match, and it was before my husband and I were even dating. We were like close to dating, but he was still my tennis coach. And I was calling him like the whole time on the sidelines, like texting him, like now she did this, now this is the score, blah blah. He's like, don't give up, you've got this, and it was like this this whole thing. And she had she had brought like five people to watch her. And I had brought no one. I'm like, are you kidding? Like it didn't even occur to me to bring anybody to watch. And it was like, they were all so competitive. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Anyway, I lost. It was crushing. It was, it was a crushing loss, but anyway, at least you got the trophy.
1: It's horrible, isn't it? So there's something about tennis that is so psychologically draining and intense, you know, you're facing this one person and I'm so not like that in life. I'm I'm not going to say I'm not competitive because I guess I am, but I definitely don't like conflict and I don't like kind of going up against, like I wouldn't have an argument with a person. And yet I was happy to go out and whack these tennis balls at them and, you know, and try all these tactics to win all, you know, the inner game of tennis and win ugly, (laughs) you know, everything.
2: I love how, how you wove in so many books. Cause I had not read like Brad Gilbert's book and I've read some books, like I read open by Andre Agassi, but that's not like advice. Right. Amazing though. Right. Such a great book. So that's like one of my top picks of all time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
1: In fact, he was
2: like the second person ever to come on my podcast because I know it was not crazy. It was, oh, man. yeah, he's amazing. But yeah, I loved how you keep kept bringing in different books. Cause I was thinking to myself, Oh gosh, like I thought I was getting serious for like two minutes. It never occurred to me to buy books on it. Like maybe now I should buy books on it because certainly when you're playing tennis, like it's all I think about. Right. And all those things you kept reminding yourself. and like, and even like, I had the same situation with the coach. He was like, you play tennis. Like you're from the eighties. The no one plays. This is not how people hit forehands anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and, like, And I, I literally, I was so offended, you know, out there in my, you know, Know, yoga pants in the dead of winter in this indoor court, you know, swinging my heart out and being like, "Yeah, no, we don't, we don't. That's not how we teach. That's not how people play."
1: I'm like, "Oh, okay, well, great." <laughs> so, did you like after that? Did you think, right? I'm gonna, you know, get a whole new outfit, screw the yoga pants, and I'm gonna get your stupid forehand that you want, and just like, I'm gonna die to get there because that's kind of what I had the same experience as you, and then I was just. It was like a horrible addiction. I could not live without that forehand that they all had. And just, I don't know, even like the, you know, I had to have the the latest tennis skirt. And- I invested in, in a whole new line of
2: tennis clothing, <laughs> <laughs> tennis sneakers, tennis racket. It was like, <laughs> so, so funny. Yeah, I thought it would all help. Yeah, and then I started thinking about it more and more. And then as you do, you become like consumed. It's also, I feel like- it's so nice to have something where you can see the results, right? Like tennis, this is why I don't really like golf because in tennis, you can always turn it around, right? Yeah.
1: Like always. You,
2: you, like, and then I'm like, Oh, I'm not keeping my head down and like looking at the ball enough. And if I, now if I fix that, I can win the next
1: three games or something, but in golf, it it like, does not, do you play golf? No, I can't really take up anything new. Cause obviously I have a kind of issue <laughs> 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 <And> <laughs> I can only take up things I'm quite bad at. So since the tennis book, I got quite into ballet and tap. And then I started becoming slightly good at ballet, even though I've got no flexibility. So I gave that up and then, and now I cycle, but yeah, I couldn't, I just think I get so addicted to golf. Is it very addictive?
2: I, it's not for me. It's oh, too, okay. like, it, there's too much of a mind game for me. Like I psych myself out. And you can't like recover the way you can in tennis, right? Like once your score is high enough, forget it.
1: You can't. Okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like in tennis, the dream is, yeah, you know, it's match point to the other person. And then you play your blistering forehand and it's beautiful. And then they feel so crushed and mortified that you played such a beautiful shot that they then lose the next three shots. Suddenly you've got a game and then you've got the momentum and they can't come back. I mean, that, that type of, I don't know about you, but I would constantly have a a commentary in my head, like all this talk going on and imagining ringing my partner, ringing my tennis coach, telling all my friends, not that anyone would care. And then of course you don't win the point and you just lose. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I kind of, yeah, it's, it's hard to handle, isn't it? Losing, especially when you win so much professionally and in life and feel like, If you try hard enough at something, you can't possibly fail. I mean, all of that kind of came under the spotlight for me in this book. So true. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash moms don't have time.
2: I thought it was so funny in the beginning, by the way, when you were holding up your trophy and you were like all flushed and everything and you showed your colleague or your boss or whoever it was, they were like, well, who's that? Why are you showing me that? And you're like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no, it's not. Like, and they said something
1: really rude to you. I get like, you did that. I don't know. Anyway, it was hilarious. Um, It was my ex literary agent, and he sadly died, which is a whole other story. But I mean, he was such a big personality, such a crazy guy. And no, what he actually said, and I think he meant it nicely, but he said, But your face is so fat in that photo. Which uh, yeah, I was like, I've got my hair up. I'm playing sport, but don't you think I look cool? Like I had my best Stella McCartney white jacket on, and you know, nice nail varnish. Um, he said, "Where are your cheekbones?" I think this is all. It was just pre-me too. It was a bit kind of, bit of a dip in the patriarchy there. Um, <laughs> A dip in the patriarchy. Oh my gosh. That's
2: hilarious. And I thought it was so funny in the book how you kept saying, like how you showed us when you got the idea to make it into a book, and then how you had to like keep justifying it to yourself and like telling other people that you think, hey, it's gonna be a book. And then you're like, oh well, and now here we are reading this book. So I guess it became a book.
1: It's pretty yeah, good. there's I feel like there's two voices in the book, actually. One is slightly unhinged and that's the voice of me when I'm in that year and kind of in my hotel room writing up the notes about you know you know with my gin and tonic or when my (laughs) (laughs) pudding or whatever and kind of yeah I mean god I remember it was such a hot night and I was lying in this hotel room with all these insects on the ceiling and I was reading the Andre Agassi book so amazing and it was so dark and in the book and I was having such an intense dark experience and so you know I'd get out my iPhone and, and write a load of notes so there's this quite unhinged crazed voice and yeah then there's a voice of me later trying to put some of the pieces together but yeah the whole kind of I'm writing a book thing was part of the more unhinged voice I think and yeah definitely before I did this project I just had this idea that if you said I'm going to do this thing for a year and write a book about it that you were somehow magically protected from that going wrong or you were in the kind of bubble of a book and therefore not only could you do anything and put it all on expenses go and stay in hotels and have spas and massages yes. and buy tennis rackets and stuff but that I don't know all of those projects they always go right don't they and then mine didn't because I tried too hard and had a nervous breakdown but (laughs) you shouldn't laugh (laughs) (laughs) no I mean it's I I guess part of the book and I think this works for some people and perhaps not others we'll see but I tried to just take a really honest and slightly kind of darkly funny approach to what is in a way quite a sad story of trying to do something and you know, and failing really, and I guess now there's quite a lot of stuff out there about failure and failure podcasts and so on. But this was quite a spectacular one. I I had no idea of all the stupid mistakes I was making. I didn't know that you couldn't just train for eight hours a day. You know that that I I didn't think that might have a bad effect, or or that <laughs> all the constant pressure to win, like I became my own tennis parent in a way, and and that. I didn't think that would have a psychological impact until I completely crashed at the end of the year. Well,
2: if you had to do it again, would you still go through it all?
1: Oh, that's such an interesting question because I think for everything else in my life, I'd say, yeah, sure, no regrets. Oh, this, I don't know. See, I've lost things. I can't play tennis anymore, alas. Uh-uh. And I don't have, you know, when you kind of, hit rock bottom of your energy, but then you can dig deeper and find more. I don't have that anymore. I've got the bottom and then I don't have the dig deeper part. So it's like I broke something a little bit. And yeah, I used to always think I can walk another five miles if I have to, or I can work for another three hours if I have to. And now I have, I have more limits than I used to. So that's taken a bit of getting used to. So yeah, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> do it definitely and win and be fine
2: (laughs) do you really think no seriously though like do you think winning would have made it
1: all better no it would have made it worse I think because I think it structurally it was kind of like any other source of addiction where you know if if I had won a local tournament I would have needed to win the next grade up and I don't think I could ever have got where I needed or wanted to get I you know and I was never gonna win I mean some of the people I was encountering on the senior circuit once I really got into that were you know they'd been professional players in the past they played for their countries they'd you know played in big tournaments when they were younger and I I hadn't done any of that so yeah it's just I, I I guess maybe my life was complicated at the time I was writing this book and I was encountering my parents getting ill for the first time and, you know, complications professionally and in my career as a novelist and just felt like such a simple and glorious thing, winning. Just, you know, just something that never occurred to me before. You could win a tournament and it would be amazing and you get that lovely, warm glow and You know, go and have your dinner and drink a glass of wine and think I'm a champion and you know that happened (laughs) to me once and I just wanted it again.
2: I'm sorry you didn't have it again. Oh (laughs) (laughs) sort of elusive thrill of success. But I mean, hopefully the fact that it's now a book has made you feel a little better. Maybe. Yes, no? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, it, it looks great. And yeah, I'm just starting to get some feedback and Yeah, I'm nervous about it. I'm probably more nervous about it than I've been about any of my novels, any of my other books, because it's the first time I've put myself out there in a memoir. and, And, you know, if people don't like it, do they not like me? And that's okay, but it isn't. And yeah, like I said, you know, the tone of the book is quite dark in places and and honest, like I've said, and I think it's funny. Well, we kind of think it's funny, right? But not everyone's going to think it's funny and not everyone's going to like tennis enough. It's quite detailed on the tennis. It is detailed on the tennis. I liked that. I liked that because you don't
2: often see that particularly from women about tennis and like, unless you're like Serena or something, right? I mean, I, I really enjoy tennis and it wasn't too detailed. I mean, there's a book, have you read by Rowan Ricardo Phillips? It's called The Circuit. Oh no,
1: I haven't actually.
2: That came out, I had him on my podcast maybe like two years ago or something. And it's very literary, but it's his year of following the circuit, the men's circuit. So he goes to like all the events on the tour and writes in detail about every match and you know who's his favorite. And I don't know, I think at the time, I can't remember who my favorite tennis guy was at the time, but oh, I was like in a Del Potro phase or something. And he was really liking... I don't know, Nadal or something. Anyway, but that was very much like match by match. So you felt like you were almost watching, but you definitely have to focus when you're reading about tennis to like get it, make sure you keep it all in your head. But I like that. Like, I like, I like that challenge of it. Not a challenge. I mean, it's not hard to, I'm making this sound bad. I like following a match by reading about it. I think it's interesting. And I, and I thought you did a good job doing it, but I don't know. I don't think you have to love tennis to, like I like reading all books about sports. I'll read like a football book at, or like, as long as there's a story behind it, because it's really the story that's the important part.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I love all those books about running, you know, running with yeah, the running, and, Yes. And, and, and I think in those books as well, there's a kind of a level of detail about, you know, what kind of shoes or what's the barefoot running book called? Oh yeah. 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 I'm not going to remember, but yes, I know what you mean. I've got it downstairs and all the intricate detail about, you know, running shoes and how they're made and how cushioned they are and whether you run on your, you know, midfoot or, you know, forefoot running. And so all of that level of detail, I love, even if I don't do the thing, I do try and run, but I'm a really bad runner. So yeah, I just, I guess I thought other people would want that level of detail too. It's quite nerdy and, and real, but yeah, I mean, but you can skip those parts. No, you don't have to skip them.
2: I mean, there's a huge... I mean, there's so many people who were college athletes, high school athletes, just like always did something growing up. And there's not a huge role for sports in middle age, even if you used to be good at something. And, you know, as I said, I'm sure you're far better than me, but, but there's something that people miss about that. Right. Cause when you're training for so long or you're like practicing, you don't realize that you get older and then like, well, when are you supposed to do this again? Except if you're a like a country club tennis circuit or something, right? <laughs> so I don't know. In LA where we visit quite often, they there's like this live ball craze going on. Now it's moving more to like pickleball or something, but where grown-ups get together and they're like ranked by skill level and then there's six people and you have to weave in and out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you do that or
1: no, but it sounds <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> I read about pickleball somewhere. I've got no idea what it is, but it sounded great.
2: Yeah. Pickleball. I've only tried once, but live ball was, was great because you don't even think about it, right? You have to move. It's like drills, you know, like a, anyway, I know I'm going on and on. I'm so sorry. This is like such a ramble for me because I'm so interested (laughs) in your topic. Normally I could just like talk about the book itself and you know, the writing and okay. I should ask questions like that. How long did it take for you to write this book? Oh, um,
1: (laughs) ages actually, because I, I took all the notes when I was doing it, which was, kind of mainly in 2014. But then I had my kind of weird nervous breakdown. and, And then so 2015 was a super weird year for me. I tried to finish the book and then I had to put it to one side. And then I would just pick it up and go, oh, this book about my mad year, it's actually quite good. I'll just add a little bit. But oh, no, it's too painful. Put it away again. So Yeah, it actually took a few years for it to come together. It wasn't like any other writing experience I've ever had where I would, you know, sit down to write a novel. And depending on the length of the project and my goals, you know, it would be done in two years or five years or three months, you know. So, yeah, this was one I sort of went in and out of. Wow, What are you working on now? Now I am working um, mainly on TV shows, so I've got a couple of shows in development, their original projects, and I have got a novel going in the background, which is called Starkiss, and it's about two teenage girls and their friendship. One of them's just woken up from a three-month coma. Oh wow! To find that her siblings have been live-streaming her coma on YouTube, so she's kind of become famous while she was asleep. And wow. Uh, so yeah, that's really fun to work on. That's a great concept. I love that. Yeah. Well, that'll be great.
2: Amazing. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists or authors rather? Or artists,
1: I guess, whatever. Yeah. So, I guess I mean, don't give up, obviously. But I think the main one is about being authentic and finding your voice. And whatever your project is, if you find the voice and the tone and the mood for it, and and then you can kind of let that voice be free I think that's the main thing I've been teaching creative writing now for oh I feel old I mean more than 20 years <laughs> and I think that's what it comes down to in the end there's all the other stuff you can learn but it's about you know who's the person that's just sat you down by the campfire and is telling you this story and, and how do they do that and how do they sound and are they funny and are they irreverent? Are they serious? You know, and and then just to kind of channel that voice from within you. So yeah, that's, that's my advice. Well,
2: I would add that not liking the memoir does not mean that people don't like you. You know, you said you were worried about that. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what it means. And first of all, I think people will like the memoir. And they will also like you, but the two do not necessarily go hand in hand. This is just a product, right? This is one little sliver. And even though you reveal all the stuff, you know, people don't evaluate it in the way that they evaluate a person. So I would put all that aside. I'm sure you know this logically, but they will still like you. you. (laughs) No matter matter
1: what you write. (laughs) Yeah. I think I haven't thought that bit through enough or I I don't know. Yeah. But thank you. That makes it a bit better. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well, keep me posted. Let me know how it goes. And uh, I had had this idea. I wanted to do like an author tennis invitational. I wanted to like go down to Charleston or something and invite all these authors to come play in a tennis tournament. So I don't know if I do that, (laughs) maybe you could be a, you know, if you still don't want to play referee or I don't know, something.
1: Maybe I'll go back into training. That sounds like so much fun. Right. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, it would. I must admit every day well I don't go out on my bike every day but every time I cycle past um the lovely tennis club in the town where I live with all the beautiful lawn you know grass courts I think oh you know maybe next year I'll be ready to go back because I do still love it and you know maybe I'll just play for an hour and then go home and that could be fine like
2: so, yeah, who it. knows? Now I'm going to like trigger some sort of relapse for you, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it'll take me at least a year to organize it. So, no worries. <laughs> okay. I'll start okay. training slowly. Okay. No training. No training allowed. Okay. No training. <laughs> no training allowed. No. All right. Well, it was so great to meet you, Scarlett. Love Congratulations you. on your book. You. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.